Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the second service. My name's Tim, um, senior pastor here at the church. It's good to see you, and uh, welcome to your Thanksgiving week. Just uh, hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. We are finishing up a very short series uh, that I've called Mean World Syndrome. There actually is something called Mean World Syndrome that a philosopher came up with, sociologist came up with. I actually had someone in the service last week who teaches this course in uh, university, and uh, and so uh, I just took it to uh, look at and use the title so that we can try to learn what it means to deal uh, with people who may not be so easy to deal with at times. Sometimes those people are us, and uh, and so we looked at the book of James last week, and we looked at how James taught us that uh, when we have someone that we disagree with, we don't want to forget that that is an actual human being we're talking with. That they have what's called the Imago Dei, the image of God, somewhere in them. I mean, even if it's covered up, covered up with sin, covered up with uh, maybe rudeness, and covered up with whatever, deep inside of that person is somewhere the fingerprint of God, the Imago Dei. Also that uh, we want to take a kind of a posture of humility when we have differences with people. We have to admit that we really don't know everything. We really don't. We haven't... Uh, we are not the treasure trove of all the universe's knowledge. And, and when many times we learn because we quiet down enough to listen. Matter of fact, it's, uh, you really do learn a lot more listening than you do talking. And, uh, and so we want to take an approach when we have a discussion, not that we don't talk, because the third thing was we want to be honest. You know, we honored that person, we had humility, and then we want to be honest, though. James told us, we don't want to back off of the truth. The truth is what sets us free as far as it being about Christ, but also the truth about any situation. You can't make an informed decision or a wise decision or draw the right conclusions if you don't have enough information, and that information is correct information. So the truth is very important. And so we're, we should tell the truth. We should be honorable people, humble people as far as followers of Christ and how we deal with one another. Now, you can't talk about meanness, or you can't talk about getting along with people that you disagree with without taking it to, to the worst scenario. And the worst scenario of that is the topic of war. Uh, we are going to talk about war this morning. We're going to take a look at what the Scripture has to say about it. Uh, I have to tell you, this is a um, sensitive subject. Um, and uh, But one of the reasons that I want to look at subjects like this is because I, I want us to traverse the world we live in wisely. And I want us not to check out when it's topics or situations that are a little bit uncomfortable for us. Uh, if the scripture is a scripture, then surely it has something to say about these very important matters. And uh, if it does, what does it say? Where does it leave us as a people of Christ as far as following him, what does God expect us to do? 
How does he expect us to think? How does he expect us to react? I want to know. I want to know. And so uh, what about the Christian and war? And I've told you guys many times, and this church doesn't do this, don't check your brain at the door when you come in. And I can tell you from talking with our church, you don't check your brain at the door <laughs> because you talk to me and, uh, and when you disagree or, or and we listen and we learn from one another. And I love a church like that. I love where we can talk about things and, and learn from one another. And that's another reason is I want a thinking church. I want this to be a thinking church. And in the world that we live in right now with all that's going on, uh, this topic of war is probably going to become even more pronounced and pronounced in the days ahead. So uh, you can pray for me as I jump into this, and, uh, and I'll pray for us as well. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. This is what we run to at times that seem uh, uh, where we don't know exactly where to plant our feet on many issues. You give us your word. You also sent your Holy Spirit to teach us, you said, all things. And so with the help of your word and the help of the Holy Spirit and also how we talk with one another, Lord, I think we have a good chance, a good opportunity to be able to find a way uh, to approach these subjects in a very healthy way spiritually for us. And so I help, ask for you to help me this morning, give me the gift of teaching, and open your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, most likely every one of us in here, matter of fact, I'm sure every one of us in here, have someone that we know who has served in the military. Uh, we, our church, matter of fact, has quite a few uh, veterans in it and quite a few actually war vets, decorated war vets in this church. I got a roar up here, Chip, coming from somewhere. And... Uh, I like being Commander Kirk at times, but, uh, you know, it's disconcerting. Uh, but uh, all of us have. And so even approaching this subject, uh, my dad was in World War II. Um, there, can you pick out which one he is on there? Top left, there he is. This is, he's in Pearl Harbor after his ship rammed a submarine because they were so close to it that the only way to get it was to ram it. And so... Uh, they were in there in Pearl Harbor for repairs. He he went through all of the, uh, the Marshall Islands, the Carolina Islands, all of them through the South Pacific, right on up to Okinawa in World War II. Uh, got on the boat with the captain when it was brand new and took the captain off his coxswain when it was done and the war was over. He took him to shore. Uh, matter of fact, it's Thanksgiving come up, coming up, and I found this and all the pictures he's given me and stuff. This is the menu off of the USS Griner from 1943, Thanksgiving. Uh, and uh, yeah, all the sailors are listed here. And Let's see, you guys going to have this good of food? Listen to this. Now, this is out in the middle of the South Pacific. Fruit cocktail, green ripe olives, cranberry sauce, roast turkey, giblet gravy, buttered asparagus, sage dressing, mashed Irish potatoes, bread, butter, ice, grapefruit juice, minced meat pie, <laughs> crystal candy, and mixed nuts. Oh, man, what a meal. And uh, so... All those, all those years ago, that's where he was with his Thanksgiving. And so I, I have the utmost respect and admiration for every single. Some of us still, we have lost friends uh, who have served in uh, battle. Some of our friends are in harm's way right now, today, this very day. And so all of that, you, you know, all of that we take into consideration, don't we? All of that, all of that we read on television or watch on television, all that we read in novels, the movies, the glamorization of everything, all of that plays with our head. 
All of that dictates and gives to us a philosophy. Whether you realize it or not, it's forming in you. You're being fed a philosophy. You're developing a philosophy. And uh, so then we become followers of Jesus. And then this enters our life. And uh, we would not be the humans that we are if this did not at some times wrestle us to the ground, throw us down, and we get up walking with a limp after we deal with it. So today we're going to look at two different positions, two Christian positions, down through the ages, down through the last few thousand years uh, on this topic of war. Two different positions that good Christian men and women have studied and lived by for hundreds and hundreds of years. We're going to look at two. And what I would ask for you to do is just stick with me, okay? Stick with me through this. If you get a little tense at one moment in it, hold on, you know? And uh, let's, let's ask God to give us a healthy view. I want to know what God has to say. It, it honestly, is what I want to know. And that's what we want to know here at the church. Uh, You've got to fill in, and if you want to take it out, and uh, you can fill in these, and I'll, I'll tell you the first, the first tradition, we'll call it, the first tradition when it comes to conflict, uh, and that is the pacifism or nonviolent resistance uh, tradition. And here's your definition for that. It's in your handout, matter of fact. Pacifism or nonviolent resistance. The belief that any violence, including war, is unjustifiable under any circumstances, and that all disputes should be settled by peaceful means. Pacifists believe, like Matthew 5, 9, where Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And, they, and the pacifists consider the fact that they will not defend themselves and they would lay down as a way of exemplifying being a peacemaker. And there are some very wonderful Christians who are pacifists. There, we have uh, some Christian leaders uh, in the body of Christ now, who are pacifists and who would who believe in resistance, but nonviolent resistance. This has a historical precedence uh, in many ways. There is a theologian named Origen. Origen lived back in 184 around 184 A.D. And as they were pounding out certain theologies and philosophies for Christians to live by, Origen said this: "We no longer take sword against the nation." Nor do we learn any more to make war, having become sons of peace for the sake of Jesus, who is our commander. And Tertullian, about 900 years later, I guess, or no, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of another guy. Uh, in 155 to 240 AD, another one of the early, what they call Christian fathers, one of the early Christian fathers made this statement. Anyone who is either a Christian or preparing to be baptized as a Christian is forbidden to join the army. Anyone who has been a soldier at the time of conversion may remain one, but only on condition that he refuse to become involved in warfare. If in a responsible position, which means an officer, he must resign. This is the pacifist or the nonviolent approach. Uh, We have Christian denominations uh, that have a pacifist posture. The Mennonites, the Amish, the Quakers, the Seventh-day Adventists, and there are groups of Christians and denominations who uh, are conscientious objectors who will not fight on the precedent of believing that, indeed, that they want to be like Jesus. That Jesus, when he was on the cross, 
He could have called down the angels, but he didn't. He's, you know, he looked out among those who were killing him, who were battering him, who had persecuted him, and who had pulled his beard out and beat him. And he looked out at that group and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Stephen, first Christian martyr in the book of Acts, is preaching the gospel and he gets a little intense when he preached. They get upset with him and around the circle of those that got upset with Stephen is a man named Paul who will eventually become, well he was Saul then, will eventually become Paul the great apostle and we're going to read his sayings in just a minute. He held the coats for those that stoned Stephen. Stoned Stephen to death. Stephen did not fight back. Stephen looked at them and he quoted his Lord and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And he died. And it says that he could see Jesus at the right hand of the Father receiving him to himself. So pacifism has a history. It has a history. And uh, it also has scripture. Uh, Matthew five thirty-eight through 48. This is Jesus speaking. Have you heard it said? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a challenging bit of scripture that uh, we like to that's kind of the, that's kind of the part of scripture we just kind of kind of go past isn't it I mean that's called the beatitude sermon on the mount you know where Jesus is saying here is the kingdom this is the way the kingdom of God looks when God gets his way with everything this is the way it looks and so he's throwing out this picture this picture that's very challenging it's challenging to me and we said here, we're not going to back off of challenging scriptures, right? We're going to wrestle. You know the story. Jacob wrestling with the angel. And I, I, I liken it to wrestling with the scripture. We need to wrestle it. Sometimes it'll take us to the ground. The scripture will. And we'll get up with a limp. And we'll walk with a limp afterward because God has pounded something into us that we didn't know or didn't understand until we wrestled with it. It's good to wrestle with the scripture. We are, those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is, this is our code of conduct. This is where we learn how to live. This is it. This is what God expects. And that's a tough, tough bit of scripture. Now, Jesus lived this out, did he not? I mean, he preached it and he lived it. He never raised a hand to anyone except a little whip to run some people trying to make money out of the temple. You know, ran out some churchgoers. <laughs> that's why he ran out. People trying to make some money off of the church and, and all. But he lived it. They arrested him and when Peter went to, we believe it was Peter, drew the sword out to try to defend Jesus. Jesus told Peter to put the sword back in his sheath. He said, he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Put it back. 
And he allowed himself, and he did allow himself to be arrested. He could have called help. That's what the Bible says. Could have called help all along, but yet he didn't. He willingly suffered all of that, went to the cross, was brutally murdered and killed for every one of us. And he was, he was faithful to the end of it. That's wrestle time, right? That's WrestleMania. <laughs> That's grabbing the scripture going, God, I really need to understand this now because this, this doesn't feel real safe. Taking a pacifist or nonviolent resistant philosophy or theology. Now, Jesus wasn't the only one that said these words. Paul said them, Paul the Apostle Paul, the one that was holding the coat at the time that Stephen was stoned, before he became a Christian, he was a persecutor of Christians. He had letters that allowed him to arrest them, to kill them. He was out on the road trying to find them, hunt them down when Jesus found him and changed him. And he became the greatest apostle that ever lived. And here's what Paul says in Romans 12, 14 through 21. You guys hang with me now, all right? Hang with me. Romans 12, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Burning coals. Some of us, you know that what he's talking about is if you treat your adversary in such a way with love that eventually that conviction, they'll, they'll start feeling bad about the way they treated you. And then they will turn and it will treat you well. And they will be convicted of it. And so that is, that's what he's talking about. And uh, you know, there, I, I want to say this too, moving through all of this, just to reiterate again, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, and you sing our songs and you say, Jesus is Lord, do you know what Jesus is Lord means? It means no one else is. Got it? Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. Number one. He rules our life. That's why we read this. That's why we study this. He is the king. If you say Jesus is your Lord, what you've said is I've given up all rights to myself. And now I'm going to learn from Jesus how to live life the way he wants me to live. And that bends us. And that breaks us. And that hurts. And that challenges us. And it calls us to places to consider that maybe we don't want to think about. But that's good. That's good. And, and believe me, God knew it would cause us to be uncomfortable with all of this. But I believe we as followers of Jesus, we want, we want to obey God. We want to do. We really do. But sometimes we just don't get it. I'm not getting some of this right now. How about you? Um, I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm wrestling. I've wrestled with this stuff for weeks now. And read and prayed and wrestled. Um, John R. Stott, if you're, a, if you're a studier of the Bible, you may know who this is. John R. W. Stott was a very wonderful pastor, theologian, English pastor, theologian, who gave his whole life to studying the Scripture. He just died a few years ago. He never married. He said he was married to the Bible. He studied day and night, day and night, his whole entire life. He's quite... He's quite the man when it comes to the scripture and the manuscripts and all. He said this in his 
commentary to the Romans on this passage. It seems that retaliation and revenge are forbidden to the followers of Jesus. In our personal conduct, we are never to get our own back by injuring those who have injured us. Non-retaliation was a very early feature of Christian ethical tradition. Going back to teachings of Jesus, to refuse to repay evil is to refuse to inflame a quarrel. We are to take the initiative as peacemakers. In Romans 12, 18, we just read, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. But honestly, it isn't possible with everyone <laughs> to live in peace with them. You know, you, the, the scripture calls us to do all that we can, everything we can, to try to make peace. To try to every as long as it depends, as far as it depends on you. But some of you know you've been in marriages where someone has has ran around on you. They have abused the privilege of being married to you. They may have abused you. They may have, and you have done everything. You've tried to get the counseling. You try to do everything you can for the sake of peace for that marriage, and that person is not working with you. It is not happening and you have done everything you know to do. So what do you do? Some of you have been in situations where addictions in the family or a friend or something and you've tried to help them every way you can. You have, you have given them money. They have come into your house and they have stolen things from you. They have ripped you off. And then they tell you that you're sorry and you take them back again and they come back again. And you have done everything you know for the sake of peace. Everything you know for the sake of peace to keep the peace. And it's not working because that other person doesn't want the peace. What are you to do? What are you to do? Now, I, I want to say I have utmost respect for Pacifists, I have friends who are, and they have a firm conviction of, and, and I do, I, I, I get it. I read the scriptures, and I read these scriptures, and uh, I get that, and I have great respect for, for people who have a nonviolent, resistant philosophy and theology. And we can see history is replete with examples, as well as we have scriptural, scripture preference from it, and, uh, or reference to look back on. But there is more scripture. And this is where we wrestle. This is how we wrestle. I, have, I do, I honestly do have respect for, uh, for this, the first philosophy. There's a second philosophy called the just war tradition. That's your second fill-in. Just war tradition or theory. I like tradition better. And, um, just war tradition was birthed out of the church fathers wrestling with this whole issue of war. Uh, Augustine or St. Augustine or St. Augustine, as he was known, was the, one of the first ones to, to start dealing with what does it mean for a Christian to go to war? Can a Christian go to war? And, uh, and so he paved the way for much of this. You, you see, I understand. I understand turning the other cheek. I, I've had to turn the other cheek. You probably have in some way, whether that's a, a metaphor for something in your life or you literally have. You probably have had to turn. I understand me turning my other cheek. I understand that for the sake of peace. But what I struggle with is letting someone else have to turn their other cheek. 
while I sit here? Is that what God wants? It's one thing for me to turn mine, right? But how about someone else who maybe can't make the decision whether they want to turn the other cheek or not? I understand giving up your shirt and your coat, like Jesus said. If they ask for your shirt, give them your shirt and give them your coat. Do good to people. I understand if I get confronted in a situation for the sake of peace, that, the, that here, take this too, take this. It's just material to me. What, what do I care? You can have it. Let's talk. Will you sit down and talk with me? I understand that. But when I look at someone else that's weaker and I see someone taking their coat and taking their jacket, I don't feel the same way about that. Now, what does God expect for that? I understand submitting myself to certain injustices and to nonviolently fall, maybe, you know, just be passive in my resistance and give to it and just say, I'm not going to respond to you. I'm not for myself. But when I see someone else suffering injustice on each side of me who has not made that decision on their own, to do that, I struggle with letting that go on. Especially if it's my children, my grandchild, my wife, people I love and I care about, or the weak and those who cannot defend themselves. Then it's not my cheek I'm turning. It's not my coat. It's, it's not my shirt. It's theirs that's being given up. You see this? You're getting uncomfortable yet? I am. I'm like real uncomfortable up here, but I knew it would be like this. You know, it seems, it just seems morally wrong to allow a stronger oppressor, a tyrant, to crush a weaker person and to take advantage of a weaker group or a weaker uh, man or woman or group or, or even nation. But is there any scriptural evidence for this? And that's where we come back to just war tradition. They've struggled with this. Our forefathers in the faith have struggled with this. Now look, it works. Nonviolent, nonviolent resistance works. It worked with Dr. Martin Luther King, didn't it? It's still working. What he did and the way he responded is still working. It worked. It worked with Gandhi in India when the British held India. And Gandhi faced the British But can I point something out to you? Both of these countries are democracies. America and Britain are democracies. In other words, we do not have a philosophy of squelching our enemies, of killing off our enemies in the middle of us. We have an open system where we can complain. We have an open system where we can resist nonviolently. You know who George Orwell is? Wrote 19, come on now. Guys, please, 1984. I know it was before you were born, but it's a, you know, it's, a great, it's a great book. How about Animal Farm? Did any of you read that in college or anything? Yeah, remember Animal Farm? Yeah. Okay, here's, here's George Orwell's response uh, to Gandhi. It is difficult to see how Gandhi's methods could be applied in a country where opponents of the regime disappear in the middle of the night and are never heard from again. St. Augustine in 400 A.D., one of our primary church fathers, um, he, took, he took the whole aspect, and this is one of the things he said when he began to develop this ju- just war theory. In 400 A.D., peace is not sought in order to provide war, but war is waged in order to attain peace. And then St. Thomas Aquinas 
and uh, like 900 years later in 12, 12, 30, somewhere along in there, he took Augustine's teaching, and you can look them up. I downloaded them. I read every bit of it. You can look them up. But he took this whole just war theory with Scripture, and he went through it with a fine-tooth comb, and they developed a system to be able to try to filter through what is a just war. And to this day, as my research said, it's still being taught in Annapolis, at the military schools, just what just war theory is. And if you watch our country, how we go about deciding uh, where to get involved, you will see just war theory at work. You will see it. So it's had a bearing in our country. And, but is there any scriptural? Is there any scripture to back this up? Any at all? First scripture I thought of when I studied this the first time about 20, 25 years ago is Luke 3.14. It's kind of a, one of those scriptures out of nowhere. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be looking for it for this topic, but I think it's very uh, applicable and usable. And that is in Luke 3, John the Baptist is preaching repentance in the river, and he's going at it. And you know how John is. He really gets going, right? Beard, hair, honey, locusts sticking in the side of his face where he's been eating this weird food. You know, he's a prophet. He's out preaching repentance because he knows Jesus is coming. Knows Jesus is coming, so he's repent, repent, repent. And these soldiers come up to John. And it says, then some soldiers ask him. I mean, they were gripped. They were gripped in their heart. John, what do we do? We're Roman soldiers. And John said this, don't extort money. and Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Whoa, 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 whoa. There's a prime opportunity to say something different, you know, like uh, lay down your shield, your sword, and follow me, right? None of that. What he said is basically act justly as a soldier. Be a just soldier. Don't extort money from people. Don't accuse people falsely. and Be content with your pay. Not so, I mean, soldiers like that comment, but be content with your pay. In other words, be a just soldier. Prime time for John to have jumped on these soldiers and said something different, but he didn't. Then we move on into Luke 7, just a few chapters over, Luke 7, 1 through 10. Jesus has been healing people, and the word has gotten out. And so this centurion, a Roman officer of sorts, sends word to Jesus and says, My servant is sick. He's paralyzed. And I really like this guy. I want him healed. Can you come, Jesus, and heal him? And so Jesus makes his way towards this soldier's house. When he gets pretty close to the soldier's house, some other friends come out from the house and say to Jesus, they said, whoa, you don't have to come into our home. You don't have to come into his house. All you have to do is speak the word because my boss understands authority. He says to one soldier, go here. To another soldier, go there, and they do it. He understands authority. He knows you, Jesus, have authority because you can speak it, and it will be done. All you've got to do, Jesus, is speak it. And Jesus goes. He speaks it, and the servant's healed. Didn't even go to the house. Then he turns, and he looks at everyone around him, and he says this. I've never seen such faith in all of Israel before. Prime time, Jesus, give us some more information, you know. But instead, I have never seen such faith before as I've seen in this soldier. Acts 10, one of my favorite stories, soldier named Cornelius. He's praying. He's a good man. He's got quite the followers around his house and he's got family and friends that meet. He gives to the poor. He prays to God, but he knows something's missing. 
And um, so he sends word for this guy, Peter, to come and tell him about this Jesus that he's heard about. Maybe Jesus is the link that he's missing in his heart. Well, at the same time, Peter gets a, a vision on the rooftop. You ever read this stuff? Man, Acts 10, pretty cool. And uh, so God speaks to Peter. God speaks to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. He sends some of his friends over to get Peter. Peter's coming down from the top of the house where he had the vision. They meet up at just the right time. They go back with an entourage to the Roman soldier's house. When he gets there, the house is filled with people. Filled with people. Peter looks up and goes, wow, these are Gentiles, soldiers, you know, family. I'm used to preaching to the Jews. And he starts preaching Jesus to Cornelius the soldiers and the family. And in the middle of Peter's sermon, I mean, God just has no etiquette. I mean, right in the middle of Peter's sermon, the Holy Spirit comes down, falls on Cornelius, falls on his household. They begin speaking in tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes, wow, I guess God does love them. (laughs) I guess God does accept them. And so he turns from there and he tells his friends, it's obvious that God loves the Gentiles. Now, look what he has done. Again, no word, nothing about, okay, Cornelius, you know, time to lay down your, your sword, time to lay down your shield, none of that. And then let's go back. This is kind of the main scripture here. Go back to Romans 12 where we read a while ago Paul's words to us where he said, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Notice this, but leave room for God's wrath. Right? Leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, you're going to have a chapter break right there. If you've got your Bible, suddenly 12 ended and 13 starts, right? Bad move. Did you know there were no chapters in the Bible? Not until the 13th century when the Archbishop of Canterbury put them in so that we can find it like this morning. We're not here for 14 hours trying to find the place, right? But sometimes it doesn't work because it breaks the flow. It breaks the flow of the thought and the philosophy or the theology that's moving. So we want to keep moving from 12 right on into 13. Right from do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let everyone be subject, right into it, to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. Notice the next Verse, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Did you notice that? You go up the verse 2, up to... uh, Chapter 2, verse 19, and you will see the term, but leave room for God's wrath. You come back down to verse uh, to this verse, and it reads, They are God's servants, agents of wrath. God's wrath, agents of God's wrath. Agents of wrath. 
the government is the agent of God's wrath. Somehow God works through the government to bring punishment to those who threaten the peace of the people. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Keep our conscience clear. This is why you pay taxes. I don't like that one, but that's it. You've got to support the army and all. This is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So it's like Jesus is telling us individually, there are times where we do not need to be violent. We don't need to. We, we, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not going to reciprocate in this. But the government has been given the right to bear the sword when there is injustice and when there is threat. Leave room for God's wrath. What he's saying is if you take it up and you do it, then there is no room for God's wrath anymore. Let God deal with this. And he deals with it many times through the government. The just war. Three times, excuse me, three times Paul uses the term servant of God when he talks about the government. That's why, and honestly, in America, we are blessed indeed because we do have a government that at least, you know, was formulated around some of this and even just war theory. So take all of this into concern. Your just war theory, let me fill these in quickly for you, is one is there has to be a just cause. There has to be a just cause. War is not to be waged as an aggression against a neighbor or simply to increase a country's wealth or prestige. It's meant to be waged on behalf of an innocent third party or to punish some evil or aggressor nation or to defend one's own nation. This, is, this comes out of uh, some of the studies from some military institutes which lays right on top of Augustine's work. Second one is right authority. Somebody has to have the authority to declare war. We know in our country that's the Congress. That's who has the right to do that. Not anyone can just wage war. Not anyone can declare war. Um, There has to be someone empowered with that. Not everybody has that right to declare it. We have people who have been given the authority to do it. The third one is proportionality. That is, they have to consider the cost of war. And this means in lives. This means in upsetting uh, people's lives. Is it... How do we wage war? What, what's the best way to do it? There's so much thought that goes into this because you don't want to hurt innocent people and you want to do the best you can to bring peace. And the fourth one is the goal is peace. It's always peace. Just war is always the goal is peace, to see peace come, to bring peace to that country, to bring peace to a people. And it must be realizable that it can be done and The last one is it's the last resort. War is the last resort. After diplomacy, after embargoes, after everything you can do before you ever reach to sending people, our precious friends and family across into a battle, we must know we have done every single thing we can do. That's why things move so slow sometimes. Maybe you have a new appreciation for our government at least. and You see how slow it moves sometimes because they're working through all of this. Asking themselves, is there any other way? Is there any other way? Is there any other way? Now you can see, I hope, 
how important it is for you to pray for your government. Because they are the agents of God's wrath. They have been given the sword the government has. And if it gets out of line, God will deal with it. All you got to do is read this. Go back to the Old Testament. Read right on through to the New. Look at history and you will see God has a way of straightening things out. So, war is a result of sin. Our brokenness. Someone wants what someone else has. Someone wants to hurt someone so that they can have something. That's sin. And as long as this world is like it is, just like Jesus said, there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. But one day, it's going to end. One day, it'll all be over. There will be no more wars. Wars. You know, the Bible starts with wars, basically, about the 14th chapter or so of Genesis. And when we get to the 20th chapter of Revelation, we, may, we see war for the last time mentioned. You read this and we'll pray. Revelation 21, 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. One day, one day, there will be war no more when the king comes and sets up his kingdom. Until then, we pray for our leaders. We pray for wisdom. And we navigate this road as wisely as we can. Today, too, I want to say this as one of the calls. There could be someone here that you're called to run for office. We need godly leaders and we need wise leaders. Let me put it this way, wise leaders first, okay? Wise. I don't need Christian leaders. I need great leaders who are Christians, okay? Great leaders who think. Some of you, you need to think of and you need to pray about that. Because if the government has been given this right, this God-given right to do this, then we need good leaders to do it, right? Absolutely. Some of you may be sitting in this room right now that should be running. You should be praying. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com. Thank you.